All right, good morning. Think we're all set. Let's do a show. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome. This is Just Human number 187. And I need to know right off, I just want to make sure if you could post in chat, my audio, is my audio good with my mic? Do I need to move the mic closer or turn the gain up? Because I'm sitting a little bit differently from how I'm usually sitting in relation to the mic. I'm a little bit further away. So if it's all good, please let me know in the chat. If I need to get my mic turned up, please let me know because I've I've moved some things around. Um. There's a lot of stuff happening. Y'all are saying five by five. Awesome. Thank you very much. There's a lot of stuff happening. And I was I was watching this. I was watching all this bank run stuff, or not bank run, but this bank calamity stuff that is going on. And I was talking about it last time on Defected, and I was thinking that I wasn't all that interested in it. But as the weekend's gone on, I have become more and more interested in it. Uh yeah, Flying Storm. My, isn't it funny? This is one episode 187, and we're going to be talking about banks dying. Uh, how appropriate. How appropriate. So it's getting really interesting, and I think uh, I saw I saw some people talk about it in chat. Last night, we had another episode of Defected, me and Burning Bright, uh, episode 17, and man, it was a good episode. It felt good. Uh, had a lot of fun with it. And we spent a lot of time talking about this this subject matter, 
from a, a narrative perspective and kind of outside and also just a human perspective of how we feel, you know, there's an anxiety about this, but for those of us who recognize the flaws within our system and we want our system to get better, we understand that the root causes and the, the problems within the system need to be, need to be taken out. The problems need to be dealt with the, 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 uh, the poisonous tree that this is built on needs to be cut down. So there's going to be some pain associated with that. But on the other side, we can come up with something better or go back to something that we already had before, which was much better. So it's this weird mix of anxiety with, yeah, I want to watch this burn down, but also I don't want too much pain for myself and my neighbor and my family. Um, and I went to bed last night thinking about our discussion on defected and thinking about some of the news. And um, I, I have this sense that we're seeing a controlled burn and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to really paint it as this, Oh, this is totally a white hat op. It's all going to plan. Everything is, um, you know, it's like all that, it's all under control kind of thing. But I also do have that sense where it's – I feel like we're watching a controlled burn, and I'm sure there's going to be some pain, but I'm also sure that this needs to happen, um, and I have, a con- I have a confidence about it. And uh, I've found some unique things about this situation that, that, that boost my confidence, that, 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 that feed and inform this take that I have. Um, but I do have a lot of sympathy for people who are who are really worried about it um, because there are going to be people who are affected. There are going to be people who are going to – there's going to be some suffering about this uh, or as a result of this. And we'll see how far it goes. I mean right now I don't really think that we're seeing this giant crisis that is going to be you know, a 2008-level crisis, but it's possible – it's possible that we do see a 2008 type crisis and uh, a economic recession that may be a depression. It's possible. Um, I'm praying that's not the case. I'm praying that it's a controlled burn and it's it, ha- it happens in a way where there is a narrative potential of it being this giant collapse and recession, but, and even depression, there's that set narrative potential is there, but it's not actual. Um, and as we talked about the last now on defective, we didn't really use it to make this point, but we did talk about how perception is reality. And does it really matter whether people, especially in normie world, whether it actually is a depression or whether they perceive it as depression, doesn't it, does it really matter as long as they perceive that this system that we have is so bad that it needs to be collapsed and they need someone to come back in like Trump. They need a reform of the system um, and we need to get away from this fiat system, this imaginary money system, this confidence scheme that banking is based on. Um, so I think, uh, you know, that's how I'm kind of engaging with it and interfacing with this subject matter. Um, we did have a great discussion last time on Defected. If you missed it, I think you would really enjoy it if you like my show and if you like what me and Burning Bright do. Um, 
the feedback on it has been has been very good. Mad Beach Bimbo says she's eating ramen. So, hey, I don't I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's a good time to tighten up, which is why um, I am next going to remind everybody: <laughs> buy some honey <laughs> before you lose all your money. <laughs> Go to bensonhoneyfarms.com. And use rep code just human if you need some good honey. It'll never go bad. It's very good for you. It's much healthier than other types of sweeteners. Um, it's good for your allergies. There's all sorts of benefits to eating fresh, raw honey purchased directly from the bee farmer. Go to bensonhoneyfarms.com, rep code just human. You'll be supporting an America First small business and also supporting what I do here on this show. Thank you very much. Um, and then after you do that, you know, tighten up. But first, get yourself some honey. I went to the wrong screen because I'm a pro like that. Um, by the way, I did figure out what happened last time on the show when I completely just shoved myself off screen. Um, that was pretty funny. So basically what is happening um, with the banking situation is another episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> What do you mean the bank is out of money? Insolvent? You only have enough cash for the next three customers! Just a second here. No, no, I, I don't have your money here. It's in Bill's house and, and, and Fred's house. Hey, what the hell are you doing with my money in your house, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> We're not quite there yet. We're not quite there yet. Um, but I think that's where people feel like we're headed. And that's that's what I saw on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, really across social media was people just fear-mongering. Um, just, just so much fear mongering. Um, and I don't, I don't think we're quite there yet where the fear mongering is justified by the collapse of this bank. And I can tell you why I think that, why I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're there yet because this was a bank that was a niche bank for the ultra wealthy and venture capitalist and they it's particularly affecting them I'm not saying there's not going to be normal americans and people who are um are affected downstream from this and people who are employees at the bank and other things I'm not saying that there's not going to be regular americans of of modest means who are affected by this but the primary people who are affected by this are ultra wealthy venture capitalists and tech oligarchs and Chinese investors who are ultra wealthy. And this bank is not your regular bank. That's regional bank. That's on the corner, you know, that you go to, um, it's a very niche bank. It's a prestige bank. And one of the things we mentioned last time defected that really sticks out to me that I think is an important marker that this is a controlled burn of sorts is that Peter Thiel was one of the first, it basically started this Peter Thiel is him and his founders fund 
they removed their money from this bank earlier last week. And then they sent out a notice on Thursday morning that they had done so. They sent out a notice to all of their people. Hey, just by the way, we no longer have any money with Silicon Valley Bank. And that was ahead. That was before the bank descended in the, into chaos, although there was some – it wasn't exactly doing super well. It wasn't like there was no, – it wasn't on the radar at all. Um, it's – um, and I feel like – it seems like that's really what started it was Peter Thiel doing that. Um, and that tipped it into this this downturn. Um, let me grab this right here. Okay, I can kill that. It's difficult to know exactly where to start with this because there's so many articles and it's been developing all weekend. I've been adding to this stack as things develop. So we're going to skip around a bit. We're kind of going to we're going to hit some articles um, real quick, and then at the end of this segment, we're going to dig into uh, some underlying issues with uh, this this bank SVBs. Um, Silicon Valley Bank. Now that's the prime one. Now, there's been other banks that have collapsed too, but we'll get to that. So, um, where were the regulators as SVB crashed? Um, you've already got Wall Street Journal and other outlets that are saying, okay, what could go? How did this go wrong? And Biden spoke this morning and said, we're thinking about more regulation. There is the there is a threat here of the government using this as an excuse to pass more regulation and get more involved in banking, which is not what we want. We want them out. Um, Wall Street Journal immediately trying to tell you on March 11th, well, Silicon Valley Bank's failure boils down to a simple misstep. It grew too fast using borrowed short-term money from depositors who could ask to be repaid at any time and invested in long-term assets that it was unable or unwilling to sell. I think it's, I think there's more going on than that. Regulators stepped in and took over the bank and said, okay, we're going to, they're going to put it up for auction over the weekend. I don't know that it actually sold, but there was talk that it was going to be sold. Um, I think HSBC and JP Morgan made offers, but the bank is, the bank's been taken over by the fed. Um, now visualizing this, just how big this bank failure is, um, September, 2008 was the largest bank failure of the past 20 plus years. Um, and that one's assets was, were 307 billion. Their deposits were 188 billion. Silicon Valley bank is about a hundred billion smaller in assets. Deposits aren't that much less. Now, during 2008 to 2014, you saw all these other bank failures, but all of them were much, much, much smaller. Much, much, much smaller. And let me go ahead and skip that because I know where I want to go. I know which thread I want to go to next. Hold up just a moment. I want to grab this thread right here from Mises Caucus. So visualizing the size of failures, this is a visualization of all bank failures since 2000. And there's Silicon Valley right there in blue. So is it is it insignificant? No, not at all. It's massive. It's massive. 
but it is a niche bank. So there's a big difference between the type of business this bank was engaged in and who its customers were and your regular bank that you're familiar with and probably do business with on the regular. We got a pretty good explanation here from Peter St. Ange, or I don't know how he says his name, but pretty good explanation right here that I'd like to listen to. Give me just a moment. Oh, I have it muted. Oh, in just a moment, just a moment. Unmute for me, please. Unmute. There we go. Hey guys, so you've probably heard about this Silicon Valley bank going under, and now there's speculation whether the FDIC is going to step in and bail them out, and also whether there's going to be spreading contagion to the banking system. So just very briefly, what happened here is that normally a bank has your deposits, and those deposits from the bank's perspective are debt, okay? And then the bank also has loans that it put out. So in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, and these are rough numbers just to kind of give a picture. So in their case, they had something like $210 billion in deposits, and then they had more than that in loans, so something like two hundred and thirty. All right, That would then give something like a $20 billion gap. Now, that gap is called their equity. Okay, so if they had 230 in loans out, okay, in other words, in assets, and only 210 in deposits, then that 20 billion. Oh, come on. Come on, Twitter. And you divide that by the 210, and they'd have something like a 9% uh, equity ratio. So you would say, okay, good. They're in business. They're worth more than their debts. Now, what happened is that a lot of their holdings were in long government bonds, meaning government bonds that go like 20 years. And over the past year, those government bonds have lost value, okay, because interest rates have come up so quickly. So what that meant is that rather than being at, you know, 230 billion in assets and something like uh, 210 in deposits, the assets came down. So now there's something like 200 billion. All right. So at that point, they are bankrupt. They're out of business. Now, what happened or what, what the sort of, uh, you know, bank champions are trying to push is they wanted the government to step in and essentially rehouse Silicon Valley Bank by passing it over to one of the major banks on Wall Street. And so that's the big contention. That's what the, the Wall Street banks uh, presumably would have preferred. They could have picked up this, you know, reckless bank for a song. But in fact, now a lot of people are worried that the government missed their chance to do that and that at this point, there's going to be more contagion. Now, the question I think for a lot of people at this point is, is this going to spread, right? Is this going to bring down the entire banking system? And the issue here is how unique was Silicon Valley Bank? So Silicon Valley Bank was very widely respected. It was a prestige bank in Silicon Valley. You sort of hadn't made it until you had an account at Silicon Valley Bank. And in fact, they would blow off small depositors, right? So if you were like a brand new startup and you reach out to Silicon Valley Bank, their attitude would be, eh, you're small fry, come back when you're bigger. That means that almost none of Silicon Valley's deposits are actually covered by the FDIC, right? The FDIC is the government sort of bank insurance program that covers your bank account if your bank fails. They only go up to 250000 Almost all of the money at Silicon Valley Bank, which is on the order of $210 billion, 
almost none of that would be covered by that little tiny slice there, right? So there are a lot of Silicon Valley companies now where they can't, if this doesn't get resolved quickly, then they can't make payroll, they're gonna go under. Some of those companies are web 3.0 startups that do payment processing, okay? So then you get this cascade effect where any company that's relying on them is now in trouble as well. And then of course the wider issue here is that what brought Silicon Valley Bank down, it, yes, it's true that they're in, you know, they're in Silicon Valley, they've got a lot of tech customers, tech has been hurting recently, but the underlying problem, right, what caused that, you know, 230 to go to 200, that was almost all from government bonds losing their value. And so th this is going to be true for every bank in America to more or less extent. So Silicon Valley Bank might have gone first. It might have been the weakest gazelle on the savannah because it had all this woke stuff on it. But almost every bank in America is going to have these kinds of risks. And so really, I think there's a good chance that we're at a Lehman moment here, similar to what happened in 2008, where the government has to decide if they're going to bail out a bunch of crony billionaires been operating fractional reserve and ripping people off, or are they going to stand back and let it collapse? George W. Bush let Lehman go down. That shocked Wall Street. It scared them. Okay. If regulators don't step in and bail out these cronies, then we could see a pretty frosty week next week. All right. See you guys in the next video. So he mentioned the word contagion there. And because he did, I want to present a, uh, a a post that Joe Lang shared um, because it's about that word contagion. And it may be, this thread may be better suited for me to share at the end of the show, but it's relevant to what he just said. That's not what I want. I don't want to search it. I want to go to the link. That gum you. Let me grab the link and let me paste it in here. Thank you. There we go. That was definitely my fault, but I'm just going to blame it on the browser. Um, so Joe Lang shared this post with me in, on Telegram. What is contagion? Contagion, key takeaways. A contagion is the spread of an economic crisis from one market or region to another and can occur at both a domestic and, or international level. Because markets are interdependent, Events in one market can impact other markets. When markets are robust, this can buffer negative economic shocks. When markets are fragile, it can magnify negative shocks, like the spread of a disease. Usually associated with credit bubbles and financial crises, contagions can be manifested as a crash in one market leading to a crash in other markets. People do not grasp the implications of last week. On Wednesday... Silvergate Bank, a crypto bank, went under. Friday, SVB went under within a day. But people don't understand how centralized the entire global banking system is. We are not witnessing a couple of corrupt banks go under. The corrupt ones are the weak links in the chain, and the collapse, they collapse first. But there's a bigger bank about to go under that will make it very clear that we are seeing the debt system imploding. Credit Suisse is on the verge of... Of being next. If that happens, the dominoes will fall very fast. Governments will print money like crazy to try to save the system, but it's in a death spiral. 
I don't like to be the bearer of bad news, but we are witnessing what many of us have been warning is coming. We are at the beginning. For those that have a trading account and are using margin, you are at risk of losing because you don't own the stock when you use margin. All debts do get paid. The world is drowning in debt and the bill has come due. A new system is coming, my friends, but the system must be the system that we have right now must be cleansed first. And I think Joe is right. Um Although my perspective on it, that it, like I said, I think that, I think we're watching a controlled burn. I don't believe that. I don't believe that we're going to we're headed for Mad Max world, apocalyptic world, but I do believe that we're seeing some like that guy just said. You know that the wounded gazelles that are out there, the weakest gazelles, are getting are getting taken by the lions first. Now, you mentioned Silvergate Bank. Silvergate Bank collapsed early this week, and that's a bank that's really heavily invested in crypto. And you're going to see that there's a thread, there's a common thread here amongst all these banks that are going under, and it's crypto. Um, also, you should know Silicon Valley Bank, the CEO was the director of the San Francisco Fred, or <laughs> Fred, the San Francisco Fed. Um, he, he, uh, he, he also lived in China for a long time and is heavily invested in China, uh, as is SVB. Um, chief financial officer is a former analyst at Freddie Mac. The chief admin officer was former CFO of what? Lehman Brothers. The chief risk officer led credit ratings in 2007. The chief legal officer was general counsel at Citibank in 2008. And just for some context, SVB is equivalent to just 4% or 1 25th of the banks that failed during the 2008 global financial crisis, but it's holding the equivalent of 55.9% of the total assets those banks represented. SVB sold approximately $21 billion of securities, which resulted in an after-tax loss of approximately $1.8 billion. And here's a big kicker, 97.3% of SVB's deposits are above $250,000 and are therefore not insured by the FDIC. 26% of Roku's cash is held with SVB. And in fact, SVB invested heavily into companies that were willing to engage in DEI practices and placed importance on ESG scores. This company was woke. This bank was very woke. Now, Yellen said pretty quickly, no bailout. No bailout for SVB. Treasury and Fed came out, and the Fed just announced they will be bailing out depositors in the SVB seizure. No buyer came forward over the apparently contagion risk. Um, but... Has it actually worked out that way? Let's see. By the way, I want to mention this thread. I'm going to skip it um, for the sake of time. It's a pretty long thread, but at John Wu right here, um, J-O-N-W-U has a really good thread that explains a lot of stuff in all in one thread. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and skip it because I want to jump to a couple other things. Uh, that's not what I want. This, 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 this. Okay. 
So March 11th evening, 7.41 p.m., FDIC and Federal Reserve discuss fund to backstop deposits if more banks fail following Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. Eric Garland, good follow. Good follow on Twitter. Understanding is greater than reacting if you're going to follow him. Good follow, though. He says, I had to lay off my employees when crooked banks extorted the government for bailouts in 2008. Now it's Silicon Valley's turn. Suck it up. And that's my, I mean, that's my sentiment too. Um, I think I just saw Karma Patriot. Good morning, Karma. She says, I want the corrupt banks to fail. But the failure is going to ripple. The failure's ripple is going to destroy community banks if we let it. And I hope our side stands behind their local community banks by not going into a bank run panic. Amen. Um, Absolutely, Karma. Absolutely. That's exactly how I feel. I want these corrupt banks to fail. But I'm concerned that the panic that people feel and the fear fear mongering that's going on is going to get to people and they're going to rush, rush to their banks today and withdraw a ton of money. And the panic is going to cause more harm than we otherwise would see from these handful of banks collapsing. Now, they came out on March 12th yesterday. Joint statement from the Treasury, the Federal Reserve, and the FDIC. And they say, following statement is released by Yellen and Jerome Powell and Grunberg. And they say, today we are taking decisive action to protect the U.S. economy by strengthening public confidence in our banking system. This step will ensure that the U.S. banking system continues to perform its vital roles of protecting deposits and providing access to credit to households and businesses in a manner that promotes strong and sustainable economic growth. After receiving a recommendation from the boards of the FDIC and Federal Reserve and consulting with the president, meaning Biden, Secretary Yellen approved actions enabling the FDIC to complete its resolution of Silicon Valley Bank, Santa Clara, California, in a manner that fully protects all depositors. Depositors will have access to all of their money starting Monday, March 13th. No losses associated with the resolution of Silicon Valley bank will be borne by the taxpayer. Now, of course, that doesn't make any sense. Everything they do is done with taxpayer money or they print it out of thin air. It's just magic money that they create. And uh, eventually that does cost us because it lowers the value of our dollar. So by the FDIC doing this, and now I'm not, I'm not some financial expert, just a regular dude. But printing money, even as a regular dude, I understand that the government printing more money lowers the value of the money that is already out there. Therefore, it does cost the taxpayer. Therefore, it does cost all of us because it makes our dollars worth less. But... Backing depositors is what the FDIC is for. They should back depositors, but they should only back them up to a quarter million dollars because that's what it's supposed to be. There's a sign right on the front door of SVB that says 
FDIC insured up to $250,000. That's the deal. That's the what the sign says. But nope, we're the government and we're here to save you. They also said, we are also announcing a similar systemic risk exception for Signature Bank, New York, New York, which was closed today by state's chartering authority. So that's the third bank. We got Silvergate, Silicon Valley, and now Signature Bank. Same situation. All depositors of this institution will be made whole. As with the resolution of Silicon Valley Bank, no losses will be borne by the taxpayer. But guess what? You're... Your dollar is going to be worth less because we're going to print a whole bunch more dollars. Finally, the Federal Reserve Board on Sunday announced it will make available additional funding to eligible depository institutions to help assure banks have the ability to meet the needs of all their depositors. Now, uh, one comment about Signature Bank. You may have heard of them before. They are a New York bank that was another prestige type bank like Silicon Valley, but smaller. And Ivanka Trump used to be on the board from 2010 to 2013, something like that in that range. And I've seen some lefties seizing on that and trying to say that this is Trump's fault because look, his daughter was, is on the board. His daughter's on the board of directors or something. She was, but that was literally ten years ago. Uh, you may have also you may also remember Signature Bank because they canceled Donald Trump's bank accounts in January 2021. Uh, now Donald Trump did the Trump org did do business with Signature Bank and got loans from there to build various. Uh, I think they built a golf course and something else. Um, so there is they are a bank that the Trumps used to do business with. Um, but it's been 10 years since the Trump, Trump, Ivanka Trump was on the board. So, um, anyway, if you see that allegation going around now, you know, just go look up when she was on the board. It was 10 years ago. Um, anyway, they failed. Uh, R. Terrell, good morning. They, they say, uh, some bank stocks already halted on the opening of the stock exchange. Yeah, I saw a notice of that. I also saw that a bank, what is it, Republic Bank or something, um, opened 66% down. Here, let me let me uh, grab this link from G-Money. Just a moment. It's going to be a wild ride. Today, this week, it's going to be a wild ride. Okay, trading halted for multiple U.S. banks at open. First Republic Bank down 66, Western Alliance 75, PacWest, Bancorp 46, Zion's Bancorp 44, Bank of Hawaii 42, Customers Bancorp 54, East West 32, Coamerica, Comerica 39%. All halted. Okay. So the... The government, basically, and the cartel known as the Federal Reserve, they, they're they saying no bailout. And they're, as I understand it, them saying there's no bailout is technically right. They're not bailing out the bank as in they're giving the bank. They didn't give money to 
um, they didn't give money to Silver Bank or Signature Bank or Silicon Valley Bank to save the bank. They didn't give them a big lump sum of money or open up a line of credit to save that bank. They didn't bail them out in that respect. What they're doing is they're backing the depositors and making sure people who deposited money in the bank are made whole. So my understanding, that's the difference between a ba- what we've seen in bailouts in the past and this. Now, people that are on the board of the bank, the 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 people that ran the bank, they're they're out. They've they've lost. I mean the bank the bank's been seized. But it there this idea that this idea that it doesn't cost the taxpayer anything is complete BS. Um yeah, HQ lines. It's so the depositors will have faith in this system. You can't they're making sure that I mean, in a way, I, I, I'm conflicted on it. On the one hand, I'm like, no, you shouldn't have put a quarter million dollars in this one bank that was making all these risky investments and decisions and running things. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, if they don't, if they don't back to the depositors, then it is going to cause a bank run. It is going to cause a panic because people are going to be so scared to have their money in the bank, they're all going to pull it, and it won't just be these banks that go under, it's going to be your local bank that goes under because people got scared and pulled all their money out of a bank that only has three branches because they saw that Silicon Valley bank went under and people lost all their money. Thomas Massey had a good thread. He says, let's review the federal reserve banks, many roles and how each of them enabled the SVB failure malfeasance. One, Santa Claus. By keeping interest rates artificially low, the Fed stimulated the economy and nudged those with capital into the venture capitalist space, creating demand for a bank like SVB. Two, arsonist. The Fed created $5 trillion out of thin air so Congress could inject this money into the economy. There weren't $5 trillion to borrow during COVID, and certainly not at the low rates imposed by the Fed. Inflation was off to the races thanks to dilution. Firefighter. After setting the blaze, the Fed came to the rescue to fight inflation by rapidly increasing interest rates. As a result, net venture capitalist startup deposits into SVB slowed, while assets held by SVB, which were long-term low-interest government debt, they became less valuable. Now, trauma doctor. Well, the Fed played a role in bailing out SVB depositors and other banks, possibly by lowering rates, buying their holdings at above value, or creating more money for bailouts. None of these are free. None of these are free. But the Fed becomes Santa Claus again, and inflation rages on. We, the American people, would be better off if the Federal Reserve Bank, an instrument of the very wealthy and connected, did not exist to socialize the risk of insiders while distorting our economy, destroying jobs, and devaluing our currency. That right there. That right there. That's it right there. That, that's, the, that's the mother-freaking tweet right there. We, the American people, would be better off if the Federal Reserve Bank, an instrument of the very wealthy and connected, did not exist 
to socialize the risk of insiders while distorting our economy, destroying jobs, and devaluing our currency. He is so right. He's right that we would be better off, and he's right that that is what they do. Socializing the risk of these insiders. These ultra-wealthy venture capitalists put their money in a bank that mismanaged it and failed. And now we're going to pay the price because the Fed's going to print a bunch of money to save depositors. More. There are some banks to watch. I just I just looked at that G Money uh, Telegram post. Um, I wonder if any of those banks were in this list. So this list came out from Market Watch. Of oh, man, look at all of those symbols. Get all of those down, down, down. It's going to be a ride today. Okay, which banks are they listing? Okay, there you go. Live ticker. They called it Customers Bancorp First Republic is now 69%. Sandy Spring, New York Community First Foundation, Ally Financial. Eleanor Tourette is at Fox Business. She came up with this spreadsheet showing you all the banks that are um that finished down 10% or more last week and yeah there they are SBB financial group was down 62.7% before they completely collapsed so republic being down 69 yeah they're going to collapse good bet they collapse All of these banks were down 10%. All right. Now let's get to... Let's get to some interesting stuff about what was... What might have been... Might be going on here. I mean, we have the explanation that, look, they invested long-term in these bonds and the interest rates caught them out and they over-leveraged themselves and all that kind of stuff. But I think there might be more to it, fam. I think there might be more to it. Silicon Valley Bank closed by regulators from Dawson S. Field. Second largest bank failure in U.S. history. The CEO was on the board of the San Fed uh, Federal Reserve Bank and is now fired. He funded the Silicon Valley oligarchs, a major player in venture funding and ESG shell games. But of course, nothing is happening. Now, a lot of Chinese involvement in that bank. It is a key nexus of tech companies, hedge funds, crypto, woke banking, and hostile foreign investment. 
want to go ahead and click on this link inside here. Oops, Xi Jinping, this is from Eric Garland. Xi Jinping is about to be going through some things because of their reliance on Silicon Valley Bank. I mentioned last night in the um, in Defected that SVB isn't just in California. They're international, and they have multiple branches in China, and they have some 2,200 ultra-wealthy Chinese investors, and they do joint ventures with the Chinese. The fate of SVB is a huge concern in China, the world's second largest venture capital market after Silicon Valley, because SVB was among the first financial institutions to start catering to Chinese startups when traditional banks shunned them. The bank established its first Chinese arm nearly two decades ago. So I pause it to you. Could it be that one of the reasons that SVB is in so much trouble? Could one of the reasons be because the U.S. is decoupling from China and reliance on China? And so that has caused a strain on these investments here and the relationship? Could it be that SVB made some really bad decisions to get involved with globalists, and they are globalists, and now they're paying the price as decoupling continues. Now back to Dawson. Looks like the insiders got the insiders got to sell their stock before it collapsed, though. Yep, it does seem that way. We'll see if there's any uh, if anybody's held accountable for that. I usually have a white pill on things, but probably won't be held accountable for it. But we'll see. We'll see. Lots of companies had their cash in SVB. That money isn't insured by FDIC, but FDIC stepped in. One month ago, Jim Cramer urged investors to buy Silicon Valley Bank stock because, of course, he did. Because that's... He, he's like the grim reaper of this stuff. Whatever he says to do, don't. I don't know how anybody listens to this guy. I don't know why. The ninth best performer year to date is SVB Financial. Don't yawn. This company's a merchant bank with a deposit base that Wall Street had been stakely concerned about. SVB is the old Silicon Valley Bank. Recently bought one of our favorite research firms, Buffett Nathanson, and it's become less dependent upon private equity and venture capitalist offerings. Wait a second. Those dried up last year, they could come back. Yes, some of them come back here with the stock directly affects an oversold position. Stock was the fourth worst performer in 2022. I think the fears were not justified, and it's a very compelling situation. Hey, by the way, long-term private equity and venture capital, they're not going away. Being the He reminds me of, like, a drunk guy at the bar you can't get away from. Like, just like somebody who gets hyper when they're drunk and just rambles on. And ha it's like they're having an argument with theirself, and you're just like listening to them. Going, uh huh, uh huh. And you're just praying somebody comes over to you at the bar and pulls you away, and you can't ever get away from the person. Like that's how he. Re that's how he reminds me. Like I don't know. I don't know. It's horrible. Sorry, I apologize for subjecting you to that. All right. It looks like rapid inflation and interest rates increased uh, rate increases put all of the swampy banks at risk. Yes. Yes. 
Now, Dawson here has done a few threads on Silicon Valley Bank in the past. Let me tell you something. If Dawson is doing threads on you or your business or agency, that usually means that you're swamp. <laughs> it's not good. No, it's never good if something happens and Dawson S. Field turns up and says, oh, I've done a few threads about that person or that business or that entity. Let me look at them. Because <laughs> it means that Dawson has found some swampiness with you. They've given out private equity fund. Ma they gave a private equity fund manager, SVB did, $95 million without verifying his information. Back up. Let me say that again. Silicon Valley Bank. How reckless were they, guys? Silicon Valley Bank was so reckless that they gave $95 million to a private equity fund manager who used false credentials. And they didn't do the work to verify any of his credentials. This is from June 7th of 2021. Dawson says, very interesting case here. Fund manager involved in mergers and acquisitions was arrested a few months ago. And now the story is getting media attention. Silicon Valley Bank loaned him $95 million based on supposedly faked documents without verifying the information. He applied for the money in December, claimed he was managing the funds for the University of Miami and New York University endowment funds and for the owner of the Mets. He got the money on February 3rd, so just two months later. He was denied bail on a federal indictment on March 4th, a month after that, because $80 million was missing. So within one month, $80 million out of $94 went missing. Having a defendant indicted and in prison within a month after a financial crime is unheard of. Someone had to be under investigation before the deal was conducted. He also allegedly forged documents from his fund's auditors. Victim bank in the filing is Silicon Valley Bank, which was popped, which has popped up in a few earlier threads. I haven't figured out which commercial bank he put the money into and where the $80 million disappeared from. Curious to see where this case goes. Apparently, this guy has been running his investment funds for his entire career with no other employment. I wonder if this guy put his money in FTX. I don't know that he did, but I wonder. Silicon Valley Bank is one of the 10 banks who got Epstein-related subpoenas from the AG in the U.S. Virgin Islands who was trying to find his sources of money. That bears repeating. Silicon Valley Bank. recently was subpoenaed by the attorney general of the U S Virgin islands in their lawsuit over Epstein's enterprise because this bank did business with Epstein and profited off of his 
enterprise, as we'll call it. Six names, six banks were named in the, in the article right here, leaving one out of 10 unnamed. Those are Fidelity Investments, Charles Schwab, Bank Lumi, Wells Fargo, Northern Trust, and Silicon Valley Bank. Is Silicon Valley Bank connected to any of the Silicon Valley oligarchs who help the Democrats? Yes, it is. So half, and then also look right here what Silicon Valley advertised themselves um, as on their Twitter. 50% of all U.S. venture capital-backed tech and life science companies bank with us. Big red flag. I noted their chairman working in China while serving out the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank board as something that seemed very swampy. In 2011, SVB transferred their CEO to become chairman of the board and relocate relocate to China to expand their business in the Chinese tech and biotech sectors. He also maintained his role as a director on the board of the Federal Reserve in San Francisco. Dawson says, I find it very odd that the private equity fund manager was indicted only one month after he borrowed the $95 million from SVB. He or the bank had to have been under investigation before the loan was made. And the reason for that is because it's – to have to, for it to happen that quickly, there had to have been eyes on. So someone in the loop right there with that transaction was under, already under investigation. Could it be that Silicon Valley Bank has been under investigation for a long time? Looks like the venture capitalist friends got out first, as they tend to do, but the bailout they wanted Friday morning never materialized. I wonder how many swamp creatures... They will approach in an effort to get a bailout from their Chinese or Silicon Valley oligarchs. Well, it didn't work. The bank collapsed. Now, it, there's more. From Fisher Ames at Nim Kef on Twitter, he says, Chinese facial recognition and steel mills. SVB counts roughly 2,200 clients between its two Chinese operations. Among them are household names in China such as Mobike, a bike-sharing firm, and since time, a maker of facial recognition technology. Something else. 21st of June, 2012, during the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum, Sberbank and SVB Financial Group have signed a MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, establishing a, form, a formal relationship between Sberbank and SVB to promote venture financing in Russia. Wonder if Vexelberg has anything to do with that. As in Victor Vexelberg, the Clinton, the Clinton friend that I've talked about a lot recently. They seek the development and implementation of joint marketing programs and events for Russian startups based on programs developed by SVB, provision of future services both to Russian startups and enter the U.S. market and the U.S. funds and portfolio companies to arp, operate in Russia. This is from 2021. Is it possible that another reason that SVB collapsed is because they were getting in, they were getting pretty swampy or making swampy friends in Russia, and now the Russian swamp is being drained? 
So that dried up that part of their business. Or at least constrained it. It makes me wonder if SVB was in a bad place where they couldn't reach out to oligarchs in Russia to bail them out, and they couldn't reach out to oligarchs in China to bail them out. And then Peter Thiel pulls his money, and now the collapse happens. Something else, this was sent to me by someone on True Social last night, and I want to give a shout-out to him. I should have I made sure to have True Social pulled up. Hold up. I got to give a shout-out because this was exactly what I was wondering. I wondered this aloud on Defected last night, and somebody reached out. It was Nikki68, N-I-K-I-I-68 on True Social. Thank you very much. They linked me this article last night. Signature Bank, this is from February 7th, 2023, so a month ago. Signature Signature Bank sued for substantially facilitating FTC co-mingling. Signature knew of permitted the wait, knew of and permitted the co-mingling of FTX customer funds within its proprietary blockchain-based payments network, Signet, according to the court filing. So Crypto-friendly bank Signature Bank, SBNY, faces a putative class action lawsuit for its involvement in the operations of FTX. Now, is it possible Is it possible that Silicon Valley or any of these other banks are also connected to FTX? I feel like that's a strong possibility. A strong possibility. I want to see what is Signature Bank looking like now? What are their stocks at right now? I wonder. At 70. Oh, it's just. Are they even trading? I wonder. Got no, it just says zero percent. I I have this feeling, I have this feeling that we're going to find out that several of these banks that collapsed, Silicon Valley, um, Silvergate, um, what's the other one? Signature, which is the one we that was um, signature. Signature was the one that um the New York one that Ivanka Trump was on like, yeah, they collapsed. They're gone. Karma Patriot says, yeah, they're gone. So how much of this is the fallout also from FTX? That's why, that's why I think, and this is more reason why I think we're watching this controlled burn. Yeah. Signature got shut down. Yeah. I think it's. I think we're seeing a this controlled burn, and so much of it has to do with FTX, and so much of it has to do with decoupling from China and with draining the Russian swamp and draining the swamp here in the U.S. And so, like I, I get the fear mongering. I get that people are really concerned about 
what's going to happen in bank runs and how much hardship we're going to go through. But I don't think this is the, I don't think this is this giant collapse um, of the banking system. I could be wrong, but I just don't think it's this giant collapse, uh, this giant crisis. I think it's a, a measured or a, 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 a controlled, a controlled burn is the best, is the best phrase I can think of. Um, Political Moonshine, good follow on Twitter and on Telegram. He had this thread and he pointed out that Silicon Valley Bank, one of their founders, is this guy, Larry W. Sonsini. And he is tied into a lot of stuff with his law firm. It's this guy right here. Um, Let me see. I might just read his thread. The graphics on it are small, but he uses on the website. He has larger images of the graphics, but um, it's okay. I want to read what he has to say right here. He writes, how much do you know about Silicon Valley Bank? Larry W. Sassini, Wilson, Sassini, Goodrich, and Rosati, Twitter, China, the 2020 election, Hunter Biden's laptop, COVID-19, censorship, the FBI, Obama, and Biden. They're all intricately linked in problematic ways. He puts these graphics here. And we're going to grab, let's see where I can grab this one. Okay. All right, from Silicon Valley Bank, right here. Larry W. Sonsini and Peter Goodson join Silicon Valley Board. Silicon Valley Bank shares, parent company of Silicon Valley Bank tonight, today announced, this is from October 16, 2003, they announced that Larry W. Sonsini and Peter Goodson have joined its board of directors. Sonsini is chairman and chief executive officer of Wilson, Sassini, Goodrich, and Rosati, the leading law firm in the U.S. representing technology companies, investment banks, and venture capitalist firms. Sassini's role with uh, Silicon Valley Bank shares will be effective November 8, 2003. The top executive at the most influential law firm serving the technology industry, Larry Sassini has been one of the most prominent figures in Silicon Valley for 35 years. Next. February 23rd, 2023. Silicon Valley Bank has assembled a diverse group of organizations, including Wilson, Sonsini, Goodrich, and Rosati. In addition to their banking, legal, and accounting, and healthcare consulting expertise for the, for the life sciences industry, the financial con- contribution from these sponsors will support um, Ignite, which is another company, Ignite's entrepreneur programming. Lab Central Ignite Golden Ticket Contest was designed to support biotech entrepreneurs who identify as women, black, Latinx, indigenous, or other persons of color who are using innovative science. So we got more woke, woke, woke. Thanks to the support of Silicon Valley Bank, Wilson, Sassini, and Goodrich, blah, 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 who believe in our mission. We're all going woke together and then going broke. All right. 
an example of their partnership, private capital and data analytics. And then you have them collapsing. Regulators shuttered SVB on Friday and seizes deposits. Biggest bank fairs 2008. Let's see what it said. Yeah, this is a need for capital. It's right on the, right came right after crypto focused Silvergate collapsed. And I just man, I just wonder if there's gotta be a connection there. There's gotta be this crypto connection. I did I wonder if SVB put a ton of money in, in FTX. Now on March eleventh, Moody's investors had a service. Moody's Investor Service Incorporated delivered alarming news to SVB, the parent company, SVB Financial Group, the parent company of the bank, that the ratings firm was preparing to downgrade the bank's credit. The phone call was described by two people familiar with the situation, began the process towards Friday's spectacular collapse. Details of SBB's failed response to the prospect of downgrade reported by Reuters for the first time showing how quickly confidence in financial institutions can erode. So, dude, they Moody's was going to downgrade their rating. And within just hours of that phone call, they collapsed. I wonder if Peter Thiel got wind that that was going to happen. I think a lot of, I think there were some people who were pretty wise to it. Ooh, what is this? Okay. Of concern is the nature of Wilson Sassini as a firm that rivals Kirkland and Ellis, King and Spaulding and Perkins Coie is one of the most monstrous and swampy law firms around. I've heard Wilson Sassini described as a powerhouse of a thousand attorneys representing the biggest and worst corporations on the planet. Moreover, the firm is enmeshed in insider trading crimes. If this if that isn't enough, one of its partners is reportedly known as the godfather of Silicon Valley. And they're tied in with um, Pfizer and BioNTech. They, I wonder if they represented them. This is from Nexus Schematics. So, yeah, I know. How, where are you connecting these at? Hmm. Is sorry, I'm 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 trying to see how is this connection actually here. So I'm interested in the rest of this thread, especially since the people in this law firm were on the board of Silicon Valley, of Silicon Valley Bank. But I want to see how they directly connect to these other people.
how is it that they connect to Okay, we got that, we got that. Here's the next section. So Moody's said they were going to downgrade. And then WSGR, that law firm, WSGR, has direct linkage to COVID-19 via the lipid nanoparticle envelope as the required vaccine delivery delivery platform. And they link to an old article they did on that subject. Of concern is the nature of Socini, da, 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 Moderna, Arbutus, and lipid nanoparticle envelopes. In a 1st of December 2021 brief from Wilson and Socini, we ascertain the important details of any particular interest to our focus here in the course of the name Arbutus. The brief was also also provides an excellent and succinct description of the inherent value found in the patents for the lipid nanoparticle envelope. It amounts to the proper to the proper motive and the absolute necessity behind attaining the patents. Wilson, Sassini, Goodrich, and Rosati are rep- represented Arbutus in this matter of getting these patents for Arbutus Biopharmacorp. According to a recent Reuters article, Moderna previously said in court filings that it believes Arbutus could bring a lawsuit demanding royalties from its COVID-19 vaccine if the patents were upheld. The Wilson-Sassini team that represented Arbutus Biopharma in the matter Includes Michael Rosado, Sanja Gerard, Steve Parmalay, Laura Green, and Jad Mills. In short, if the vaccine manufacturers, manufacturers did not secure the rights to the lipid nanoparticle envelope, there would be no mRNA vaccines at all. Ergo, there could be no pandemic at all. The kids, the payload, don't get to school. The payload doesn't get to school if there's no. Okay, I get that. I don't like the analogy, but I get what they're saying. All right. When I was asked to generalize this case, I stated this quote. The fight here is over royalties pertaining to the lipid nanoparticle envelope used to deliver the genetic material in the mRNA injections. Arbutus told two patients that tie to Moderna's and MRA's injection, ergo they they seek royalties accordingly. And they're using WSGR, that same law firm whose members are on the board of, of Silicon Valley Bank, to do it. Interesting. That's over at Political Moonshine. If you guys want to go and find that article or find this thread. All right. Last last thing on this topic is Biden spoke this morning. Biden spoke spoke this morning. And he only spoke for a couple minutes, but we're going to go ahead and listen to it because I'm knowing. 
I know you guys can't wait to hear what Biden had to say. If you can, try to imagine that you're a normie and you're looking to the president for reassurance that, I, that the banks are going to be okay. And then try and decide if you actually, if you actually feel better after hearing this. <laughs> Before I uh, leave for California, I want to briefly speak about what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking systems overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. They've done that. They've done that. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets. Treasury Secretary Yellen and the team of banking regulators have taken action, immediate action. And here are the highlights. First, all customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured, I want to rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills, and stay open for business. No losses will be, and I want, this is an important point, no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Because of the actions of that because of the actions that our regulators have already taken, every American should feel confident that their deposits will be there if and when they need them. Second, the management of these banks will be fired. If the bank is taken over by FDIC, the people running the bank should not work there anymore. Third, investors in the banks will not be protected. They knowingly took a risk, and when the risk didn't pay off, investors lose their money. That's how capitalism works. And fourth, there are important questions of how these banks got into the circumstance in the first place. We must get the full accounting of what happened and why those responsible can be held accountable. In my administration, no one, in my, no one is above the law. And finally, we must reduce the risk of this happening again. During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed. On top of all this, let's also take a look at a moment to put the situation in a broader context. We've made strong economic progress in the past two years. 
We've created more than 12 million new jobs, more jobs in two years than any president has ever created in a single four-year term. Unemployment is below 4 percent for 14 straight months. Take-home pay for workers is going up, especially for lower- and middle-income workers. And we've seen record numbers of people apply to start new businesses, more than 10 million of them, more than 10 million applications over the last two years starting businesses. Now we need to keep the program, this progress, going. That's what swift action that my administration over the past few years is all about, protecting depositors, protecting the banking system, protecting the economic gains we've made together for the American people. Thank you. God bless you. And may God protect our troops. See you in California. Mr. President, what do you know right now about why this happened? And can you assure Americans that there won't be a ripple effect? Do you expect other banks to fail, Mr. President? I say meh. It wasn't, like, particularly bad. But it also wasn't good. Um... Don't worry, Karma. I know. You, I know you want me to play this clip. Hold up. I'm uh I'm downloading it now so I can then throw it in the browser and play it. Uh, I don't think that was particularly good or bad from Biden. I think that was just meh. I was surprised he used the word capitalism. Um, the worst part of the worst part about it was him saying. Well, actually, well, it is bad for him, like saying we're we're going to need more regulation, or I'm going to throw it over to Congress to get more regulation to make sure this never happens again, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, I'm laughing because he mentioned Frank. He mentioned Barney Frank in that stupid bill they came up with. Barney Frank was on the board of Signature Bank that just collapsed. So. It's almost like okay. These are the t- these are the times where I'm listening to Biden and I'm like, did was that put in there on purpose so that he would mention Frank like that? Because that didn't help. That wasn't good. Like, why would you bring up Dodd Frank? When one of the banks that you just mentioned, Barney Frank, is on the board. So the author of the bill that you just mentioned that your past administration passed that was supposed to prevent this is on the board of the bank that just collapsed two days ago. Like, these are the moments where I'm like, okay, this guy... (laughs) this is a laugh like this is a laugh (laughs) I'm downloading the video that karma sent but it's a telegram is being telegram right now when it comes to that sometimes it does that where it takes a long time to download something that's too that's too funny I'll show you signature bank and Barney Frank signature bank Barney Frank Oh, I'm zoomed in. Golly. There we go. Oh my gosh, man. Do something about your nose hairs. Come on. Why is his picture so big on their website? This is ridiculous. Why is his picture so big? 
Barney Frank, Director, Signature Bank. Barney Frank has been a member of the board since 2015. There he is. <laughs> Why is this picture so big? This is ridiculous. Anyway, there he is on the board. And now they've collapsed. All right, let me grab this uh, this video that Karma sent. Pull this up. Damn. Oh, daggummit. I got to convert it. I got to convert it with VLC. It's the wrong file type, Karma. Do, do, do. I need to convert you to MP4. Okay. Now we're going to convert it. And then we'll see what happens. <laughs> In the meantime, can I just copy this in here? No, I can't. Can I take this put it here and whoa, that's not what I wanted to do. See, that's what I did last time on the show. Start moving stuff around like that. Okay, while we wait for this video to convert, you can look at those pictures of buffalo karma this clip better be worth it <laughs> karma supports all media types and is non-biased <laughs> oh it's good to laugh about this stuff guys it's good to laugh about all of this stuff what else are you going to do Oh, now that's interesting. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. First Republic Bank. Okay, they get additional funding from the Fed and JP Morgan this morning. A fresh funding gives the bank $70 billion in unused liquidity. They're now down 75%. Okay, but look at this. Oh, it's the same article, but one of where's um JP Morgan officials reached out to First Republic over the past week to tell them they were standing by to help. So that's 
catches my eye about this is that it's J.P. Morgan, which is run by Jamie Dimon, who was just subpoenaed in the Epstein lawsuit and is required to turn over documents and communications related to that lawsuit and related to his business dealings with Epstein. Investors grew concerned last week that First Republic had a similar profile to SVB. Shares of First Republic had fallen about 30% since Wednesday, and some customers started to get skittish. As FBB planted on Friday, 90% of First Republic's no, 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 I'm reading that wrong. Mr. Perangi, who is Mr. Perangi of a startup called Akio, moved 90% of his cash out. Venture capital firm Omega Venture Partners sent a note to portfolio companies encouraging them to open a cash brokerage account or make their first bank deposit accounts, make sure they're insured, and that they put money in regional banks. First Republic has $213 billion in assets. Okay, I think that file is done converting. Let's see if we can play it. Let's see. Will it play? Silicon Valley bank uh, loss and this failure. You were on a bank board. You're the chairman of the oversight committee. What should be done here? Well, look, this is something that I, I worry could be a trend. Usually when one bank goes down, more banks go down. And what we've seen early on from articles I've read in the Wall Street Journal and, and other financial publications is they invested a lot of cash, a lot of cash that I would assume they had from things like the PPP loan, government policy, and they invested it in bonds. And then because the Democrats spent too much money in all their stimulus, they they the bonds go down when interest rates go up. The Fed had to raise interest rates to combat the Democrat inflation. And then we see now coming out that uh, they were one of the most woke banks in uh, their in their quest for uh, the ESG type uh, type policy and investing. You know, this could be a trend, and there are right. consequences for bad Democrat policy. And I think we need to keep an eye on all the the banking sector right now. Well, we're waiting for a solution. We are expecting an announcement of an acquisition of the Silicon Valley Bank before the markets open tomorrow. We'll see. But let me move on to the work mm -hmm. that you've been doing. It's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken, and you've been digging in on the business of the Biden family. What have you learned? Well, we've had a very good two weeks, Maria. We are finally having people cooperate with us. I think we all know the Biden administration stonewalling. Janet Yellen, Yellen is stonewalling, not turning over the, the bank violations. But fortunately, since we've last spoken, we actually have bank records in hand. We have individuals who are working with our committee. Uh, in the last two weeks, we've met with either these individuals personally or with their attorneys. Uh, and th that would be four individuals who had uh, uh, ties in with the Biden family on their various schemes around the world. So now we have in hand documents that show just exactly how the Biden family was getting money uh, from the Chinese Communist Party. And, and I will tell you, it's as bad as we thought, Maria. It's very concerning. And, and in a way, I'm kind of glad that the, the Biden attorney, Abby Lowell, and the Biden administration has been stolen while in this, because when I requested that information two weeks ago versus today, because of what we have in hand now, uh, we have a lot stronger case in court.
Interesting. Very interesting.、Um, it caused my browser to freeze. So now I'm locked in. That's why the video stopped playing. So Karma shared an awesome video here, but also broke my browser.、Um, it's definitely her fault. So thanks, Karma.、Um, <laughs> and whatever y'all are saying in chat, I can't see it because my browser completely broke. So I'm not getting any.、Uh, I'm not getting anything out of the chat right now.、Um, what stood out to me about that clip is him mentioning the PPP loans because that's something that、um, DOJ has been coming good on is ringing people up for abuse of the PPP loans and other COVID 19 related programs where there's been a ton of fraud.、Um, and I've seen. I've seen more and more of that coming about where people are getting、um, people are getting held to account for their, their malfeasance with these COVID 19 loans and stimulus programs. So I hear him say that and I think, hmm, I wonder if, I wonder if this bank was also getting in trouble for that. I hadn't seen any reporting about PPP loans with this bank, but I, I wonder if that's also a, a factor here is these banks abusing those loans. And then on the Hunter Biden and Chinese bank stuff, you got to wonder did the Bidens do business with SVB, specifically SVB bank branches that are in China? I wonder. Huh. Very interesting. All right. Good, good clip, Karma.、Uh, Rose Slash, good morning. Thank you for the Rumble rant. They ask, how does Credit Suisse tie in? Well, I don't know that Credit Suisse ties in specifically with these banks that we've been talking about this morning, but Credit Suisse has been mentioned as one of the banks that is in trouble, and they've been in trouble for a while.、Um, there's been. They've been in trouble in a lot of different ways, but they're a super swampy bank.、Um, and I've, I've covered a few, of the a few of the things that have gone on with them recently. They're down 6.39% this morning.、Um, this is from four hour, hours ago. Let's see what the news is on them this morning. They've been, they've been in some trouble. In a couple different instances lately with lawsuits and criminal action、uh, or criminal cases against them and their clients. They've put up a number of stuff for sale. They, I think, I, I think they're in trouble now. And some of these other banks are also in trouble. UBS down 4%, Credit Suisse Group down 11.74%. Commerce Bank down 12. Okay, Credit Suisse shares on Monday reached a new record low, falling as much as 15% as investors continued to hammer away at the stock of the Swiss banking giant after the collapse of banks in the U.S. While SVB Financial and Signature Bank collapsed in the wake of a downturn in technology and crypto sectors, that's not exactly why. 
credit credit suisse difficulties have been of its own making bank mank, making credit suisse has lost money for five straight quarters and says it's expecting to post a loss before taxes this year. It's undergoing a big transformation after losing billions lending to the Archegos family office and having to freeze $10 billion worth of funds tied to green seal capital. Wealthy clients pulled out $100 billion from Credit Suisse in the fourth quarter. According to FactSet, Credit Suisse shares trade at 0.2 estimated 2023 tangible book value. Blah, blah, blah. Credit Suisse was not the only European bank to see share slide. Commerce Bank and Banco de Sabadell um, have felt that's almost 12%. They've also slumped. Analysts at Morgan Stanley said they don't expect Eurozone banks to be forced into selling their bonds the way SVB had to, owing to hedge programs in place. They also say increased deposit competition will be gradual. Credit Suisse isn't, I mean, they've been in trouble. For a while, because they're getting caught in their swampy deals. Um, they've had, I want to say, I'm, I'm trying to remember what the last case I covered with them was. Um, this was over a year ago that I covered this one where... Uh, Yeah, it's from February of 2022. Um, Details of 30,000 Credit Suisse clients were leaked all over the world um, or contained this link, which unmasked the beneficiaries of more than 100 billion Swiss francs held in one of Switzerland's best-known financial institutions. The leak points to widespread failures of due diligence by Credit Suisse, despite repeated pledges over decades to weed out dubious clients and illicit funds. And this is a report that I, I think I presented this report. Maybe I didn't, um, but it's from a year ago. Um, Credit Suisse has more than 1.6 trillion in assets under management. and is one of the Switzerland's largest lenders, second only to UBS. It has almost 50,000 Employees, 1.3, it's not 1.3 trillion. It's a different currency. What is what is that worth in American dollars? 1.6 TN. TN CHF. So that's 1.76 to the U.S. dollar. Okay. It has almost 50,000 employees, including a significant workforce in Zurich, where the bank is headquartered. However, many of its 3,500 relationship managers who find and serve wealthy clients are spread across the world. The leak that happened, accounts, um, the leaked accounts are linked to Credit Suisse clients living in more than 120 jurisdictions with a concentration of clients in the developing world. Countries with some of the largest number of clients in the data are Venezuela, Egypt, Ukraine, and Thailand, and have long struggled with political and financial elites hiding their fortunes offshore. Mm-hmm. The timing of the leak could hardly be worse for Credit Suisse, which has, which has recently been best beset by major scandals. Last month, it lost its chairman, Antonio Hota Arsorio, 
after he twice broke COVID-19 regulations. That capped an unprecedented year of controversies in which the bank became embroiled in the collapse of the supply chain finance firm Greensill Capital and the U.S. hedge fund Archegos Capital and was fined $350 million over its role in a loan scandal in Mozambique. This month, Credit Suisse became the first major Swiss bank in the country's history to face criminal charges, which it denies, relating to allegation it helped launder money from the cocaine trade on behalf of, of the Bulgarian mafia. However, the repercussions of the leak could be much broader than one bank, threatening a crisis for Switzerland, which retains one of the world's most secretive banking laws. Swiss financial institutions manage about $7.9 trillion in assets, nearly half of which belong to foreign clients. The Swiss Secrets Project sheds a rare light on one of the world's largest financial centers, which has grown grown used to operating in the shadows. It identifies the convicts and money launderers who are able to open bank accounts or keep them open for five years after their crimes emerged. And it reveals how Switzerland's famed banking secrecy laws helped facilitate the looting of countries in the developed world. This is a long article. Y'all interested in me reading it? Because it might be relevant to uh, what's going on if Credit Suisse collapses. Um, Credit Suisse has been, it, it's like scandal after scandal after scandal. And I want to say there's been, I feel like there's been a judgment recently for a plea deal with Credit Suisse recently uh, that was U.S., Yeah, y'all want me to keep presenting it? I will. Hold on just a moment. I want to see if... Okay. Yeah, I found I'll found some I'm going to present in just a minute. Okay, so disgraced executives, fraudsters, traffickers as clients. Even if this doesn't, even if Credit Suisse doesn't collapse or become fully exposed in some way in the near future, it's it's going to happen. All right. So when Ronald Lee Fook Shiyu approached a banker to open an account in 2000, he is unlikely to have been viewed as a run-of-the-mill client. A former chairman of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, he was one of the wealthiest people in the city, where he was known as the godfather of the stock market. But he was perhaps better known for the time he spent in a maximum security prison. Lee's career had ended in disgrace in 1990 when he was convicted of taking bribes in exchange for listing companies on the stock exchange. However, a decade later, Lee was nonetheless able to open an account that later held $59 million, according to the leak. He has since died, but his case is one of dozens discovered by reporters appearing to show Credit Suisse opened or maintained accounts for clients who had serious convictions that might be expected to show up in due diligence checks. There are other instances in which Credit Suisse may have taken quick action after red flags emerged, but the case nonetheless shows that dubious clients have been attracted to the bank. Well, of course. Like every other bank in the world, Credit Suisse professes to have stringent control mechanisms to carry out extensive due diligence on its customers to, quote, ensure that the highest standards of conduct are upheld. In banking parlance, 
Such controls are called Know Your Client or KYC checks. A 2017 leaked report commissioned by Switzerland's financial regulator shed some light on the bank's internal procedures at that time. Clients would face intensified scrutiny when flagged as a politically exposed person from a high-risk country or a person involved in a high-risk activity such as gambling, weapons trading, financial services, or mining. Relationship managers were expected to use external sources to verify customers and their risk levels. According to the leak, including news articles or databases such as Thomson Reuters WorldCheck platform, which is used widely in financial services sector to flag when people are arrested, charged, investigated, or convicted of serious crime. Such controls might be expected to prevent a bank from opening accounts for clients such as Rodolub Rudolic, Rodulovic, a Serbian securities fraudster indicted, yeah, indicted in 2001 by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. However, the leaked data identifies him as the co-signatory of two Credit Suisse company accounts. The first was opened in 2005, the year after the SEC had secured a default judgment against Radulovic for running a pump-and-dump scheme. One of Radulovic's companies, uh, company accounts held $3.4 million before they closed in 2010. He was recently given a 10-year prison sentence for a court by a court in Bel- Belgrade for his role trafficking cocaine from South America for the organized crime boss Darko Saric. Radulovic's lawyer did not respond to multiple requests for comment. Due diligence is not only for new clients. Banks are required to continually reassess existing customers. The 2017 report Credit Suisse screened customers at least every three years and as often as once a year for the riskiest clients. Lawyers for Credit Suisse told The Guardian these periodic reviews were introduced, quote, more than 15 years ago, meaning it was continually running due diligence on existing clients from 2007. The bank might, therefore, have been expected to have discovered that its German client, Edward Seidel, was convicted of bribery in 2008. Seidel was, was, a, uh, was an employee of Siemens. As the multinational lead in Nigeria, he oversaw a company of industrial-scale bribery to secure lucrative contracts for his employer by funneling cash to corrupt Nigerian politicians. After German authorities raided the Munich headquarters of Siemens in 2006, Seidel immediately confessed his role in the bribery scheme, though he said he had never stolen money from the company or appropriated its slush funds. His involvement in the corruption led to his name being entered into the Thomson Reuters World Check database in 2007. However, the leaked Credit Suisse data shows his accounts were left open until at least well into the last decade. At one point after he left Siemens, one account was worth $54 million. <coughs> Seidel's lawyer declined to say whether the accounts were his. He said his client had addressed all outstanding matters relating to his bribery offenses and wished to move on with his life. The lawyer did not respond to repeated invitations to explain the source of the $54 million. Siemens said it did not know about the money and that its review of his own cash flows shed no light on the account. While Credit Suisse said in its statement it could not comment on any specific clients, the bank said, quote, actions have been taken in line with applicable policies and regulatory requirements at the relevant times, and that related issues have already been addressed. In some instances, Credit Suisse is understood to have frozen accounts belonging to problematic clients, yet questions remain about how quickly the bank moved to close them. 
One client, Stefan Setterholm, a Swedish computer technician who opened an account with Credit Suisse in 2008, was able to keep it open for two and a half years after his widely reported conviction for human trafficking in the Philippines, for which he was given a life sentence. Setterholm's crime first came to light in 2009, when police in Manila raided a storefront purporting to be the local chapter of Mindanao's People's Peace Movement and discovered about 17 women in cubicles with webcams performing sex shows for foreign customers. He was convicted in 2011. A representative for Setter Home said Credit Suisse never froze his accounts and did not close them until 2013, when he was unable to provide due diligence material. Asked why Setter Home needed a Swiss account, they said that he was live. They said he was living in Thailand when it was opened. Adding, quote, can you please tell me if you would prefer to put your money in a Thai or Swiss bank? Ferdinand and Imelda pillaged the Philippines. Swiss, Swiss banks have cultivated their trusted reputation as far back as 1713, when the Great Council of Geneva prohibited bankers from revealing details about the fortunes being deposited by European aristocrats. Switzerland soon became a tax haven for many of the world's elites and its bankers nurtured a duty of absolute silence about their clients' affairs. The custom was enshrined in statute in 1934 with the introduction of Switzerland's banking secrecy law, which criminalized the disclosure of client banking information to foreign authorities. Within decades, wealthy clients from all over the world were flocking to Swiss banks. Sometimes that, client, that meant clients with something to hide. One of the most notorious cases in Credit Suisse history involved the corrupt Philippine dictator Ferdinand Marcos and his wife Imelda. The couples are estimated to have siphoned as much as $10 billion from the Philippines during the three terms Ferdinand was president, which ended in 1986. <clears throat> it has long been known that Credit Suisse was one of the first banks to help the Marcoses ravage their own country and in one infamous episode even helped them open Swiss accounts under the fake names William Saunders and Jane Ryan. In 1995, a Zurich court-ordered Credit Suisse and another bank to return $500 million of stolen funds to the, to the Philippines. The leaked data contains an account that belonged to Helen Rivala, Rivilla, an attorney convicted in 1992 for helping launder money on behalf of Ferdinand Marcos. Despite this, she was able to open a Swiss account in 2000, the year 2000, as was her husband Antonio, who faced similar charges that were subsequently dropped. It is hard to know how Credit Suisse could have missed the money laundering case linking the couple to corrupt Philippines leader, which was reported by the Associated Press. The couple, who could not be reached for comment, were able to hold about $8 million with the bank before their accounts were closed in 2006. One former Credit Suisse employee at the time alleges there was a deeply ingrained culture in Swiss banking of looking the other way when it came to problematic clients. The bank's compliance departments were masters of plausible deniability, they told a reporter for the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, one of the coordinators of the Swiss Secrets Project. Quote, never write anything down that could expose an account that is non-compliant, and never ask a question you do not want to know the answer to. The 2000s was also a decade in which foreign regulators and tax authorities became increasingly frustrated at their inability to penetrate the Swiss financial system. That changed in 2007, 
when the UBS banker Bradley Birkenfield voluntarily approached U.S. authorities with information about how the bank was helping thousands of wealthy Americans evade tax with secret accounts. Birkenfield was viewed as a traitor in Switzerland, where banking whistleblowers were often held in contempt. However, a wide-ranging U.S. Senate investigation later uncovered the aggressive tactics used by UBS and Credit Suisse, the latter of which was found to have sent bankers to high-end events to recruit clients, courted a potential customer with free gold, and in one case even delivered sensitive bank statements hidden in the pages of a Sports Illustrated magazine. The revelation sent shockwaves through Switzerland's financial sector and enraged the U.S., which pressured Switzerland into unilaterally disclosing which of its taxpayers had secret Swiss accounts from 2014. That same year, Switzerland reluctantly signed up to the International Convention on the Automatic Exchange of Banking Information. By adopting the so-called Common Reporting Standard, CRS, for sharing tax data, Switzerland, in effect, agreed that its banks would in the future exchange information about their clients with tax authorities in foreign countries. They started doing so in 2018. Membership of the global exchange system is often cited by Switzerland's banking industry as a turning point. Quote, there is no longer Swiss bank client confidentiality for clients abroad, the Swiss Bankers Association told The Guardian. We are transparent. There is nothing to hide in Switzerland. Switzerland's almost 90-year-old banking secrecy law, however, remains in force and was recently broadened. The Tax Justice Network estimates that countries around the world collectively lose $21 billion each year in tax revenues because of Switzerland. Many of those countries will be poor nations that have not signed up to the CRS data exchange. More than 90 countries, most of which are in the developing world, remain in the dark when their wealthy taxpayers hide their money in Swiss accounts. This inequity in the system was cited by the whistleblower behind the leaked data who said the CRS system, quote, imposes a disproportionate financial and infrastructural burden on developing nations, perpetuating their exclusion from the system in the foreseeable, for, foreseeable future. This situation enables corruption and starves developing countries of much-needed tax revenue. These countries are the ones that therefore suffer most from Switzerland's reverse Robin Hood stunt. The whistleblower acknowledged that the leak would contain accounts that were legitimate and declared by the client to be tax authority. Quote, I'm aware that having an offshore Swiss bank account does not necessarily imply tax evasion or any other financial crime. However, it is likely that a significant number of these accounts were opened with the sole purpose of hiding their holders' wealth from fiscal institutions and or avoiding the payment of taxes on capital gains. It was not possible for journalists in the Swiss secrets pro Swiss Secrets project to establish how many of the more than 18,000 accounts in the leak were declared relevant to tax authorities. Media partners in the consortium wrote to more than 100 Credit Suisse clients in the data, asking whether they had disclosed their Swiss accounts to tax authorities. Five confirmed they had done so. Six said they were not required to. The others did not reply. <coughs> Out of 100. Links to another dictator. Ferdinand Marcos may have been Credit Suisse's most notorious client. He is arguably rivaled only by relatives of the brutal Nigerian dictator Sani Abacha, who is believed to have stolen as much as $5 billion from his people in just six years. 
It has long been known that Credit Suisse provided services to Abacha's sons, opening Swiss accounts in which they deposited $214 million. Credit Suisse was publicly contrite after being kicked off a sustainable investment index over the affair. Quote, we understand that the index was not really happy with us being involved with Abacha. We were not happy ourselves. But we have addressed those problems for several years. We have taken internal measures to make sure nothing similar happens in the future. Banks that enable kleptocrats to launder their money are complicit in a particularly far-reaching crime. The consequences for already impoverished populations can be devastating. As state coffers are siphoned, basic standards are eroded, and trust in democracy plummets. Politicians and state officials are among the riskiest clients for banks because their access to public funds, particularly in developing nations, with fewer legal safeguards against corruption. Banks and other financial institutions are required to subject to subject politically exposed persons, or PEPs, to the most stringent checks, known as enhanced due diligence. The leaked Credit Suisse data is peppered with politicians and their allies who have been linked to corruption before, during or after they had their accounts. None are as well known as the Marcuses or the Abachas, but several wielded great power in countries from Syria to Madagascar, where they amassed personal fortunes. They include... Pavlo Lazarenko, who served a corrupt single year as Prime Minister of Ukraine between 97 and 98. Man, it's crazy how Ukraine, you start talking about swamp and corruption, and boom, all of a sudden you're talking about Ukraine. One month after pressure from rivals forced Lazarenko to announce his resignation, he opened his first of two Credit Suisse accounts. One was later valued at almost $8 million. Lazarenko was later estimated by Transparency International to have looted $200 million from the Ukrainian government, allegedly by threatening to harm businesses unless they paid him 50% of their profits. He pleaded guilty to money laundering in Switzerland in 2000 and was later indicted in the U.S. for corruption and sentenced to nine years in prison in 2006 in relation to bribes received from Ukrainian businessmen. His lawyer said those convictions did not relate to the theft of any money from the people of Ukraine. Lazarenko, who reportedly lives in California, has resisted returning to his country where he still faces accusations he stole $17 million. His lawyer said his Credit Suisse accounts had not been accessed for two decades and were frozen in connection with court proceedings against him. It remains unclear why Credit Suisse allowed Lazarenko to open an account and deposit such huge sums in the first place, given his background. Before entering politics, Lazarenko was a functionary in charge of a collective farm. Monica Roth, an expert on money laundering and a professor at Lucerne University, said Swiss banks had for a long time struggled to properly challenged politicians and public officials who, after stints in public office on relatively modest salaries, turned up with huge sums of deposits. Hmm, I wonder why that is. Nobody wants to ask questions. How is that possible? Around the time it was doing business with Lazarenko, Credit Suisse appears to have also made inroads into the Egyptian political establishment under the dictator Hosni Mubarak who was president for three decades until 2011. The bank's clients included Mubarak's sons, Allah and Gamal, who established businesses, business empires in Egypt. 
The brothers' relationship with the bank spanned decades, with the earliest joint account opened by the brothers in 1993. By 2010, the year before the popular revolt that ousted their father, an account belonging to a law held $232 million. After the Arab Spring uprisings, their fortunes changed, and in 2015, the brothers and their father were sentenced to three years in jail by an Egyptian court for embezzlement and corruption. They say the case was politically motivated, but after an unsuccessful appeal, Allah and Gamal paid an estimated $17.6 million to the Egyptian government in a settlement agreement. Lawyers for the brothers reject any suggestion they were corrupt. Yeah. Other Credit Suisse clients linked to Hosni Mubarak were the late tycoon Hussein Salem, who acted as a financial consigliere for the dictator for nearly three decades, amassed a fortune through preferred tender deals, and died in exile after facing money laundering charges. And his sham to Lot Mustafa, a billionaire politician in Mubarak's party. Mustafa, who could not be reached for comment, was convicted in 2009 of hiring a hitman to murder his ex-girlfriend, the Lebanese pop star Suzanne Tamim. But his account was not closed until 2014, five years later. Another Mubarak henchman linked to Credit Suisse Banking Services was his former spy chief, Omar Suleiman. His associates are listed in the data as beneficial owners of an account that held $63 million. In 2007, Suleiman was a feared figure in Egypt, where he oversaw widespread torture and human rights abuses. The data reveals Credit Suisse accounts held by several more intelligence and military figures and their family members, including in Pakistan, Jordan, Yemen, and Iraq. When I, when I, one Algerian client was Khalid Nazar, who served as Minister of Defense in 93, or until 93, and participated in a coup that precipitated a brutal civil war in which the military junta he was part of was accused of disappearances, mass detentions, torture, and execution of detainees. Nazar's alleged role in human rights abuses had been widely documented by 2004 when his account was opened. It contained a maximum balance of $2 million and remained open until 20, 2013 two years after he was arrested in Switzerland for suspected war crimes. He denies wrongdoing and the investigation is ongoing. If ordinary Algerians, Egyptians, and Ukrainians have reason to complain that Credit Suisse may have aided nefarious leaders, their grievances pale in comparison with Venezuelans. Reporters working on the Suisse Secrets Project identified Credit Suisse accounts linked to almost two dozen business people, officials, and politicians implicated in corrupt schemes in Venezuela, most of which revolved around the state oil company, PDVSA. Corruption has always been around PDVSA in varying degrees and levels. If so, okay, where the words Venezuela are an, an oil for alarm bell for banks. If so, that does not appear to have stopped Credit Suisse from acquiring clients later revealed to be involved in numerous U.S. investigations and prosecutions. Are they going to mention Alex Saab? Please mention Alex Saab. One case involves two U.S.-based businessmen with Venezuelan connections, Roberto Rincón Fernández and Abraham Sierra Bastidas, who in 2009 set about bribing officials in exchange for lucrative PDVSA contracts with the help of his associate, Fernando Ardia Rueda. Among those who allegedly received bungs were the Energy Vice Minister Nervis Villalobos Cardenas, and a senior PDVSA official, Luis de Leon Perez. In 2015, U.S. prosecutors began indicting the participants. 
court papers make repeated reference to payments into accounts in an unnamed Swiss bank. However, the leaked data reveals all five men had Credit Suisse accounts active at the time of the offenses. Of the five, four pled guilty. The exception, Villalobos, is resisting extradition to the U.S. from Spain. Some of the Venezuela-linked Credit Suisse accounts contained enormous sums. Villalobos had as much as $9.5 million in his account, and De Leon had as much as $22 million. Rincon had the businessman paying their bribes had more than $68 million, and his accountant as of November 2015, the month prior of his arrest. Nope, they didn't mention Alex Saab, but Alex Saab also did business there, and that was part of the reason he got arrested and extradited was because of Credit Suisse working with Interpol, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. When Credit Suisse's ornate headquarters were constructed in the 1870s in Zurich, they were designed to symbolize Switzerland as a financial center. More than 150 years later, Credit Suisse occupies the same grand premises, and Switzerland remains a global offshore center much as it has done for the last 300 years. It is only in recent decades that Credit Suisse, one of Switzerland's oldest and most cherished banks, acquired its reputation for calamity. As one commentator observed earlier this week, quote, the bank boasts that its purpose is to serve its wealthy clients with care and entrepreneurial spirit. But at this stage, most of them would probably be happy if it could just avoid another major scandal. Orta Osorio lasted less than a year before resigning last month. Shortly after Credit Suisse appointed its new chairman, Axel Lehman, the bank reported a loss of $1.6 billion in the fourth quarter, in part because it had put aside more than $400 million to deal with unspecified, quote, legacy litigation matters. And there is no shortage of those. The scandals involving Greensill, Archegos, Arche- I don't know why that one's hard for me, Archegos and Mozambique, Mozambique bonds have dodged have dogged the bank over the last past year. Over the past three decades, Credit Suisse has faced at least a dozen penalties and sanctions for offenses involving tax evasion, money laundering, the deliberate violation of U.S. sanctions, and frauds carried out against its own customers that span multiple decades and jurisdictions. In total, it has racked up more than $4.2 billion in fines or settlements. That includes the $2.6 billion the Swiss bank agreed to pay U.S. authorities after pleading guilty to conspiring to aid tax evasion in 2014. The $536 million it was fined by the U.S. five years before for deliberate, deliberately circumventing U.S. sanctions against countries including Iran and Sudan in 2009 and other payouts to Germany and Italy over tax evasion allegations. Against this backdrop, the Suisse secrets revelations may fuel questions over whether Credit Suisse's challenges are indicative of a deep malaise at the bank. Jeff Neiman, a Florida-based attorney who represents a number of Credit Suisse whistleblowers, believes the sheer number of scandals involving the bank indicate a deeper problem. Well, hell yeah, it's the Swamps Bank. And I want to see, it mentioned Mozambique. I quickly searched and... um. Okay, so this is an older one. This is from 2021. That article is from 2022. This is $547 million to resolve um, fraud related to Mozambique loan case. Let me see if there's any Credit Suisse right here. No, not this one. I want to look on Control-F on this one. 
what is what year is this case? Oh, this is pending. Okay. Pending case right here, United States versus Credit Suisse Securities Limited out of New York. October 19th, 2021, Credit Suisse Group AG and Credit Suisse Securities admitted to defrauding U.S. and international investors that purchased securities to finance an $850 million loan to Mozambique. All right, so that's the one that's related to that settlement we just saw. So it resulted in a $530-something million settlement. I swear there's more. I swear I've seen um, something with uh, Credit Suisse recently. I could be wrong, though. So bottom line is Credit Suisse is the swamp's bank. I mean, that's not surprising. That's not, that's not surprising at all. Um, but they, uh, if they collapse, if Credit Suisse goes down, that is, that, that's the mother load. That's, that's the big disease temple right there. Um, all right, I mentioned I mentioned Jamie Dimon earlier, JP Morgan. Um see Jamie Dimon is the CEO of JP Morgan and he is required now to turn over some documents. A US judge on Thursday last week ordered JP Morgan Chase and company to hand over more documents concerning chief executive Jamie Dimon uh to the US Virgin Islands. The same this is the same lawsuit that uh was wanting records from Silicon Valley Bank and a number of other banks related to Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking enterprise. This is from Judge Jed Rakoff in Manhattan, said the bank must turn over requested documents from 2015 to 2019. I I recommend taking note of this name, U.S. District Judge Rakoff, because he is not a friend to banks, and um, he has... This case for U.S. Virgin Islands, and he has the uh, cases against from the Jane Doe's against J.P. Morgan and against Deutsche Bank for their um, profiteering off of Jeffrey Epstein's enterprise. So learn his name because he has all of those cases. All right, eleven thirty-eight. Let me wrap. I'm going to hit a few more uh, stories here before we go. The show's not over yet. Got a few more stories to mention. Um, I mentioned this briefly last night on Defected that there's been Section Eight enforcement, and uh, you may remember several months ago I I covered that Justice Department was using Section Section Eight to uh, which is it has to do with interlocking. So it's like, it's like, um, it's section eight of the Clayton act. And what it does is it goes after people who have directors or board members or owners who serve at the same time on the boards of competitor companies. And so you might have two companies that are in the same industry, but they share people on their boards or their directorship or whatever. And they're supposed to be in competition for one another, but they're really not. They're really not in competition for each other. They're just forming a, a, a type of monopoly 
that involves them having multiple companies within the, within the same area, but it's the same people running those companies. So in order for the, like, it's a way to get around monopoly and stuff. So, um, justice department is using, using the Clayton act or section eight of the Clayton act as a, um, they're just, their antitrust division is using it to go after some of these corrupt companies. And we had some, it's almost been a year since we had, I want to say it was last spring where we had, um, notice that some of these companies were being looked at by justice department. Um, now there's been action. So Qualys incorporated sumo logic and F five incorporated. They provide cloud security. They got busted Enable incorporated Dynatrace and solar winds. That is Tama Bravo. And he sat on all three companies boards. And then it was October, 2022. They announced, okay. It wasn't that long ago. October 22. They announced they are looking at this. Tama Bravo represent representatives to resign from solar winds board in response to the division's concerns about alleged interlock between Dynatrace and solar winds. Shortly thereafter, November 22, two separate Tama Bravo designees resigned from enable board. Um, also Brookfield asset management and American equity investment, life holding, and Sun Country Airline Holdings and Atlas Airwide Holdings. This is a unique way that they can go after some of these corrupt companies, and they just busted Solar Winds for it. Next, back to Samuel Bankman Fried. It looks like this is from FOIA fan on Twitter. It looks like a lot of Bankman Fried's contributions are being returned. So good news. You can see right here, Connecticut Democrat State Committee returned 9,700. California Democratic Party, DNC Services, North Dakota, West Virginia Democrat Party, Iowa Democrat Party, all returning money. You can see the minus sign over here uh, where they're returning a bunch of money. There's a ton of entries here. Let's see what's on the next page. Alex Padilla, nope, hasn't returned. Okay, let me. I want to see where the return stopped. So they stopped right there. Let me go here. There we go. Arizona Democrat Party, Washington State. So lots of Democrat Party committees are returning money right here. Let's see if uh, are there any more that come up. Nope, the other ones haven't started. So a bunch of them have started returning money. What some of them will do is there's win red. Some of the what some of them will do is they'll donate the equivalent amount to some cause instead of returning it. But I'd seen I had seen previously that some company some entities were doing that. But it's something. We'll watch and see if if any of the other comp any of the other people return more. Let me see uh who got the most? Protect our future pack. Protect our future pack. House majority pack. They got the most. Who's been returning it? So these are all Democrat party entities. The word must have gone out amongst the Democrats. Get all this money. Get all this money out. Okay. 
Karma, I don't see one that is specifically naming Biden, but the Democrat National Committee gave their money back. So here's the, uh, I'll link the list in chat. There is right there from fec.gov. What you do is you can go to fec.gov and then in the filter section, you can filter it by type of process, FTX, Alameda research, put both of those in and you'll see, you'll start seeing these results. All right. Um, oh yeah. been seeing this come up again. It's that time of the month. It's that time of the month, or maybe I should say the week because it's every week, but it's definitely every month. Prosecutors say an indictment of Trump is coming. New York Times, Manhattan prosecutors have signaled to Donald Trump that he could face criminal charges, an indication that they are nearing an indictment. And my friend John says, really, we got him this time, guys. Really. I know we didn't get him this time on May 15th, 2017, or December 7th, 2017, or May 20th, 2021, or July 5th, 2022, or November 28th, 2022, or August 31st, 2022, or January 7th, 2023, or January 25th, 2023, or December 9th, 2018, and he could keep going and going and going and going. There's so many times where we've seen this exact same headline. Prosecutors signal criminal charges are likely. Prosecutors nearing an indictment. An indictment is being rumored is to come for Trump and his cronies. And just over and over again, we got him. We got him. The walls are, cl- are coming, are closing in. The walls are closing in anytime now. Trump's going to get arrested. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. It's crazy how how people keep believing it. It's the, it's the most worn out story in all of media. <laughs> I have such deja vu mentioning it. I have such incredible, I mean, an incredible deja vu doing this because I feel like every like four to six weeks, there's some story. Donald Trump is about to be arrested and you get people who are, who are either, like freaking out about it or there are others who think, yep, that's what has to happen because they think that Donald Trump is the arrest that's in the drops. And I just, I don't, I don't at all. All right. Let's talk about some, uh, some more good news. Some more swamp draining. A jury has found former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder and former Ohio Republican Party Chair Matt Borges guilty. 
lobbyist and former head of Ohio GP, GOP establishment, Matt Borges, guilty. Ohio Speaker of the House, Larry Householder, guilty. They took $61 million in swampy bribes to let First Energy collect more than a billion dollars from Ohio, Ohioans. I won't see. I don't know if this is on Fox News. I don't know if any of the Con Inc. have covered this, but Thursday, March 9th, Jerry convicted these people. Um, as presented by trial team, Larry Householder illegally sold the state house, and thus he ultimately betrayed the great people of Ohio he was elected to serve. Matt Bordish was a willing co-conspirator who paid bribe money for insider information to assist Householder. Through its verdict today, the jury reaffirmed the illegal acts committed by both men. The government proved beyond a reasonable doubt at trial that Householder and his enterprise conspired to violate the racketeering statute through honest services, wire fraud, receipt of millions of dollars in bribes, and money laundering. The conspiracy involved nearly $61 million in bribes paid to a 501c4 entity to pass and uphold a billion-dollar nuclear plant bailout. According to court documents and trial testimony, from March 2017 to March 2020, the enterprise traded millions of dollars in bribery campaign donations in exchange for householders and the enterprise's help in passing House Bill 6. The defendants then also worked to corruptly ensure that House Bill 6 went into effect by defeating a ballot initiative to overturn the legislation. In March 2017, Householder began receiving quarterly $250,000 payments from the related energy companies in the bank account of his 501c4 called Generation Now. Team Householder spent millions of the company's dollars to support Householder's political bid to become Speaker, to support House candidates they believed would back Householder, and for their own personal benefit. The United States detailed that Householder spent more than half a million dollars of the dark money to pay off his credit card balances and repair his Florida home and settle a business lawsuit. Borges used approximately $366,000 for his own personal benefit. Borges was, a, uh, was budgeted $25,000 to bribe an Ohio Republican operative to try to save House Bill 6. Borges gave the man $15,000 check in exchange for information on the number of signatures collected on the anti-House Bill 6 ballot referendum. Householder's longtime campaign and political strategist Jeffrey Longstreth and lobbyist Juan Cespedes, both of Columbus, Ohio, previously pled guilty to their roles in the racketeering conspiracy. First Energy Corp. signed a deferred prosecution agreement in July 2021 agreeing to pay $230 million penalty for conspiring to bribe public officials and others. The racketeering conspiracy as charged in this case is punishable by up to 20 years in prison. Congress sets the maximum statutory sentencing. Um, sentencing of the defendants will be determined by the court based on advisories. Good stuff. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp, especially the GOP establishment swamp. Happy about that. <coughs> also, Pardon me for the coughing. Goldman Sachs, Hillary Clinton's favorite bankers, just got the director, was sentenced to 10 years in prison. 
Former Goldman Sachs managing director sentenced to 10 years in prison for his role in a massive bribery and money laundering scheme. Roger Ng, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce his name, Ng. I'm not really sure. Sorry. Previously convicted of conspiracies to pay more than $1.6 billion in bribes to a dozen foreign officials and to launder and, and to launder billions embezzled from the one Malaysia development bear had. That's the 1MDB scandal. The 1MDB scandal is massive. It's absolutely massive. And uh, it's not over yet. There's more trials to come. So the Goldman Sachs Group was sentenced by United States District Judge Margot Hey, Brody, to 10 years imprisonment for conspiring to launder billions of dollars embezzled from the One Malaysia Development Berhad, 1MDB, conspiring to violate the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act by paying more than $1.6 billion in bribes to a dozen government officials in Malaysia and Abu Dhabi, and conspiring to, conspiring to violate the FCPA by circumventing the inter, internal accounting controls of Goldman Sachs. The forfeiture amount will be determined at a later date. In April 2022, Ng was convicted by a federal jury on all accounts for following a, following a nine-week trial. So, I want to go back to this thread because it's pretty big. One MDB it's about the theft of over $5 billion from the people of Malaysia by swamp creatures from around the world. Dawson says, I can't wait for Pros Michelle's trial in a few weeks. Defense has asked to call Obama and Trump as witnesses. And it... <laughs> it's... Man, can you imagine if Obama and Trump get called as witnesses in this trial? And it, it it connects so many places. There's so many swampy people connected to the one MDB trial. Um or the one MDB scandal, I should say. There's um I want to say, was it in this thread? Yeah, it was this post. I liked I liked this comment by Sam Simeon says. He says, is it time to remember the links between 1MDB, Joe Lowe, Turkey, Khashoggi, Obeid, and thus late Campus and Misfood? 1MDB is like the Kevin Bacon of global corruption. And I think that's a great way to say it. That 1MDB is like the Kevin Bacon of global corruption because it touches into Hollywood. It touches politicians. It touches fraudulent banksters like it's. It's everybody. It's all of these swampy, corrupt people. They all are just a couple degrees away or directly involved in the 1MDB scandal. Um, the next trial, Pross Michel, is coming up. Let me see when it is. He says in a few weeks. Let me see. Um, yeah, Leonard, Leonard, Leonardo DiCaprio has been named as a witness. Um, what's the... November 4th date, it got moved from that. What's the what's the date it's going to have? Let me look at the newest news article because I want to see when the trial is going to happen.
Okay. When is this trial? Let me control F it. The, the trial is scheduled to begin in Washington in late March. So I got, I'm guessing last week of March is when it starts. Okay. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah, but nothing's happening. Nothing is happening at all. It's really quiet out there. It's kind of boring. It's kind of boring. Okay. Let me see if I can end the show without killing my camera like I did last time. So, guys, thank you for listening to me ramble on today about this stuff. And, um... Yeah, keep your head keep your head about you. It's going to be a wild ride, and uh, watch out watch out for that fear mongering. Like, just don't don't make emotional decisions. Don't make any decisions when you're emotional about stuff. Use logic and reasoning. Um, if you're not sure about something, the answer is no. That's a good rule. If you're not sure about something, if you can't decide, the answer is no. Um, or just sleep on it. Don't make rash decisions and don't panic. Bad decisions are, are made when you panic. Um, like I said, I, I think this is a controlled burn. I'm not super worried. It could, we could be headed for a massive failure cascade of these banks and financial institutions. And, uh, it could happen. It could happen, but I don't really, I don't really I don't really think so. I feel like there's it's going to be a burn here, a burn there, a collapse here and there, not all at once, so that we don't have this giant catastrophe that just screws over everybody. Um, we'll see. Trump is speaking tonight. Trump is supposed to speak tonight. I think it's at 6 p.m. He's in Iowa. Um, I'm really looking forward to what he has to say. Because I think that um, I think this he's teed up. Trump is teed up nicely here to be the leader in this in this uh, this bank crisis thing. I think I like it's perfectly teed up for Trump to get on stage tonight and uh, have some real show some really good leadership. So I'm I'm hoping he does that and uh, that it's a uh, it's something where people pay attention to and it people can see the the contrast between the clip we saw of Biden speaking for four minutes about it and then how Trump is tonight. Um, so it, it just, I just feel like the, the situation is really nicely teed up for Trump to be Trump. So, all right, guys, y'all have a blessed day. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. Stay positive. I'll see you on um, Wednesday in the 9.30 a.m., no, wait. What? Oh, yeah. Okay. Pretty sure I'm doing a show on Wednesday morning. Pretty sure I am. But then I'm going out of town Wednesday night for a uh, a trip my wife has for work. 
I'm going with her. And um, so I don't think I'll do a show on Friday. Um, pretty sure I'm going to do a show Wednesday morning and then we're leaving after my show on Wednesday. And uh, I won't be on Devo Power Hour on Wednesday night. So FYI, I got, I got a business business trip with the wife. I'm going on latter half of this week. So have a blessed day, guys. I'll see y'all later. Oh, come on. Play my song. Come on, Bandcamp. Play my song. There we go. There we go. All right. See ya.